Good morning, everybody. Uh, today's scripture reading is going to be in the book of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. You can follow along with me. It says, In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken care of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out on the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find him, a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who were lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at the shepherds, at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had just heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen. Well, it's great to see you all here today. And uh, if you are new to Table Church, welcome. I hope that you felt right at home today. Um, and we have a gift. Be sure to grab it at the Welcome Center. Don't get out of here without free stuff, right? Um, and also, I want to let you know that uh, we next summer, we are going to be taking a trip to Zambia with our mission partner, Poetis. And perhaps you've heard us mention it and you've been thinking about it, not really sure. We haven't mentioned it in a while. So I just want you to know that the door is still wide open for you if you'd like to join the team. Just write Zambia on your connection card and we'll be in touch with you. It's the end of July, July 21st to August 1st, I believe, is the trip. Uh, worth every penny. Okay, I've been on, this will be my 10th trip with Poetis. It will be my 11th trip to Africa, and uh, it's every moment and every penny has been 100% worth it. It's just a life-changing experience, so I hope that you will consider joining us for that because it's always transformative. So I started my college career at the University of Iowa, and uh, if you've ever gone to college, particularly if you've gone to one of those big state schools, uh, you know when you show up on campus as a freshman, it's a little intimidating, right? I mean, this campus like sprawls out over the whole city. I had to take a bus to get to class sometimes, and uh, there's like thousands of people there. You don't know anyone. Luckily, I had a few friends from high school that uh, were there with me, but you know, I didn't have any Christian friends there. I was the only Christian in my little group, and so I kind of felt alone at sea a little bit. One day, I saw a sign advertising a campus ministry, and I thought, okay, well, I'm going to go check it out, and I, I walked there by myself one night across campus, and Walked into this big auditorium full of hundreds of students, and the band got on stage and started to play, and the students all stood and started praising Jesus. I started getting a little emotional. I didn't realize how lonely I had been. I didn't realize how much it meant for me to find people. I didn't know anybody there, but I just knew 
we have a connection, something so important to us that we share. I, I thought, these are my people. I found them. I, I see something similar when we go pick up our students. We have a, a tutoring program for at-risk kids. It's called Rise Up, and, and uh, we go pick up the kids uh, after school for the tutoring program, and all of the kids in the program are, are African. They all come from African families, and you know, I go and I get the kids, and that's fine, but when Moses, our local outreach director, shows up, when he goes and gets the kids, Moses is Kenyan, and uh, when he comes, it's like, like long-lost cousin or something. You know, They speak the same language. It's like we share this thing that a few other people around us share, but you've got it. You are my people. Everybody needs to be able to walk into a room and to know that they have a connection with somebody. They have that kind of deep connection that, that they belong. But unfortunately, many people, when they walk into a church, they don't get that feeling. They, they walk into a church and they think, I don't know, I'm nothing like these people. I've got nothing in common with these people. We live in a big world. It can feel kind of scary. So it's a great feeling to suddenly realize, you know, this stranger shares something important with me. Now, we're in an Advent series today called The Four Witnesses. We're looking at the birth of Jesus from four angles, uh, Matthew, Luke, John, and then ourselves. And uh, today we're going to be looking particularly at the book of Luke, as you may have gathered from the scripture passage today. And so we're going to ask ourselves, what does Luke want to teach us about the birth of Jesus? And here's the important point we're going to learn. Luke wants us to know that you are one of Jesus's people. You are one of Jesus's people. He's going to show it to us in a pretty cool way. But first, before we get to that, I need to dismantle a few of our traditional concepts of how the Christmas story actually happened. I hope I don't ruin your favorite Christmas carol here today, but I mean, we want to be close to the text and what actually is true, right? So we're going to dig in a little bit uh, culturally, historically, and textually as far as what the birth of Jesus may have actually looked like. Now, through countless movies and countless Christmas pageants, many of us have grown to imagine that Jesus' birth the night went something like this. Joseph and Mary make a long trek to Bethlehem for the census. It's just the two of them with their donkey. Mary is riding on the donkey while Joseph walks along beside. They arrive in Bethlehem late in the evening. Mary is already starting to have contractions, so a frantic Joseph pounds on the hotel door, begging for a place to stay where they can give birth to this child. But the innkeeper, who's already asleep and in his pajamas, uh, cracks the door open. He's a little grouchy from being woken up. He grunts something and points to a neon, a neon no vacancy sign flashing over here and slams the door in their face. At this point, the contractions, though, they're two minutes apart, and so they're starting to panic. They rush to the first place they can see, a dusty old barn down at the end of the road. So Mary and Joseph make it there just in time, and the Savior of the world is born in a barn. It all takes about 15 minutes is all. Mary's calm and collected, even though she just gave birth next to a cow, and the baby's fast asleep, and three random kings show up with presents, shepherds come out of nowhere as the camera slowly pans out and up to reveal a starry sky with one bright light just above the barn, and the credits roll. That's the Christmas story as we've often imagined it. People who live, though, in the Middle East have for some time seen that version of the story, notice a few things about it that don't quite line up culturally or with the text. There's a scholar, a New Testament scholar named Ken Bailey. He lived and taught in the Middle East for most of his life, and his work has illuminated a lot of things. 
I want to talk about some of the things that he's pointed out to me. Think about this for a second. If you've ever traveled to another part of the world, one of the things that you might notice about other cultures, a lot of times at least, I've been to Central America, like I said, I've been to Africa, I've been to Israel as well. Um, you'll notice that other cultures throughout the world often are very good at hospitality. I mean, we do okay. We get really stressed out when we have people coming over. You know, like, we do okay, but like other cultures, a lot of other cultures, it's just, it just oozes from them. They just can't help themselves but to be hospitable. It's just woven into who they are. They'll treat you like kings and queens. They'll give you everything they have. Like they'll, they'll bend over backwards in order to make sure that you feel comfortable. It's just a gift that many other cultures have. And this is the way it is in the Middle East, and it's been this way actually for thousands of years. So, if a descendant of King David, the greatest king in Israel, if a descendant of King David, which Joseph was, was to walk into the city of David, which is Bethlehem, it's where David was born, and his wife is about to have a baby, there's no way the villagers would just let this woman give birth without the proper accommodations. I mean, seriously, if you saw a woman in labor out on the street corner, you'd be like, Somebody call a doctor, right? You would do something to make sure that things were taken care of. You're not going to leave them out in the cold. If they were to do that, it would bring shame to them. It would bring shame to their entire village for that sort of thing to happen. So how do we make sense of all this stuff about there being no room in the inn, about Jesus uh, being put in a manger, if that's the case? Well, Ken Bailey says the key is to understand the way homes were built in the time of Jesus. And actually, many peasant homes are still built like this today. You can still find them. So we have a picture, a simple diagram that we're going to have on the screen that's going to show us uh, like the floor plan of a typical home in Palestine around the time of Jesus. A typical village home was very small, and most of the activities, the, every, all the living activities as well as the sleeping, uh, took place in one main room, the, the family living room. This is the big room in the middle there. Now, what's surprising to most of us is that it was typical and still is typical sometimes for them to actually build a stable in the house. Most of us think that sounds a little crazy. Why would you want to bring livestock into your house? Well, back then it made a lot of sense. I mean, you don't want anyone stealing your livestock. You don't want predators to come. You bring them into the house at night for safety. Plus, it helps warm the house during the cold months. And so dug into the uh, is usually a, the stable is usually a few steps down, right? You see those steps there? You had to kind of go down to a lower level to get to the stable. And it was separated from the rest of the house, maybe with some timbers or something like that. But then dug into the floor of the living room, you see these two little ovals in the picture. Those are mangers, just these holes that you would, you know, from the living room, you just put food in there for the animals, and then it would be about chest height for the animals, and they could easily eat from the mangers. This is a typical design for homes at the time. Now, additionally, many homes would have a second room added on the side, or maybe it would be up on the roof. It would serve as a guest room where visitors would stay, because remember, hospitality was a high value at this time. You always wanted to be ready if a family member or a friend was coming through town. So this is the way a typical peasant home was set up in the time of Jesus. Now, why is this important? Look back at chapter 2. You've probably heard the verse that says, there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them in the inn. When we hear the word inn, we tend to think of something like a motel, a place where you go, 
You pay money to get a room for the night. Um, and if they're full, then they're full. It's a place of business. But the Greek word that is usually translated in is actually just the word for guest room. It's the exact same word to describe the room that almost every family would build on the side of their house. In fact, our translation today, the NIV translation that you heard Dan read earlier, actually picks up on this. It doesn't say in, it says in verse 7, there was no guest room available for them. It's just a guest room. So it's not that the hotel was full, it's that the guest room in someone's house was either full or as actually is more likely from the Greek uh, that it was just too small to have a baby in. There was no room in the guest room. It was literally too small to have a baby, a baby in. So, so what did they do? Well, the next verse gives us a clue. It says in verse 7 that she wrapped him in cloths. Mary wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger. Well, remember, where is the manger? The manger is on the floor of the living room. The manger is literally located in the main living space. In other words, some family, probably one of Joseph's relatives, because, I mean, this was his hometown. He probably had relatives there. They welcomed them into their home. The guest room was either occupied or, as is more likely, just too small to have a baby in. And so they did not kick Mary and Joseph out into the night. They didn't say, sorry, you know, tough luck, have fun. It was, they welcomed them into the main family room where there was plenty of room, plenty of people to help assist with the birth. The cultural and textual evidence seems to suggest that Jesus was not born in a lonely barn, but was born in a home after being shown hospitality. Now, you might be thinking, why does this matter? How does... How does that improve the Christmas story? I mean, it feels a little bit better to think, it's just like something that's more humble about the Savior of the world being born in a lonely barn, right? Well, I'll tell you why I bring this up. Immediately after Jesus is born in verse 7, Luke changes the scene in verse 8. He goes now to the shepherds who are out in the fields watching their sheep. In Jesus' day, shepherds in Palestine were poor. Um, Jewish tradition labeled them as unclean. They were usually smelly and dirty. Their sheep would eat your grass. And in fact, from the, around the time of Jesus, we have these lists these from ancient Jewish writers, these lists of vocations or jobs that were discouraged. And on several of them, shepherd appears on these lists of discouraged jobs or professions. But the angel appears first to the shepherds before they appear to anyone else. And look what the shepherd says, or look what the angel says to them. It says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Focus in for a second on the words, This will be a sign to you. What exactly is a sign to the shepherds? It's the fact that the Messiah, the awaited king, is not born in a palace, was not born in a mansion but was born in a house just like theirs. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths, which was the custom among their people. He was placed in a manger, which would alert them to the fact that he would be found in a house just like them, just like theirs. In fact, they, this was, Bethlehem today is a small town. Like, it was really small back then. They would know everybody. Like, it's like saying, oh, yeah, the Messiah has come. Like, the king you've been waiting for for thousands of years has come. He's at Bob's house. Are you kidding me? 
The sign that the angel refers to is not just telling them where to find the baby. It's telling them how they'll find the baby. You'll find the baby in a place just like yours, in a home just like yours, among people just like you. The angel's telling shepherds, the Messiah has been born and you are his people. He has come for the likes of you. He has come into your space. He's come to show you that you belong with him. You are his people. And Jesus' life would bear this out. He's more at home with a table of sinners than with a sanctuary of saints. The king of kings is more likely to be found on the streets than in a palace. One of the most scandalous things about Jesus was how he seemed obsessed with keeping company with the people that most considered questionable. Jesus' people were the ones who didn't feel like they had people. And the way Jesus came to earth was a sign for them. He was for them. Luke shows us that Jesus didn't just come. He came for you. When I was a kid, I knew what it was like to be left out. I knew what it was like to be picked on, to not be chosen. I knew all those things. And I remember thinking, I wonder, you know, I remember thinking, I know that grown-ups don't go through that kind of thing. I know that grown-ups never feel this way. Once I'm a grown-up, that'll all be over. And now today, every single person, you know, we're scrolling through our social media feeds and we're just little by little realizing how much we just don't measure up, how much we just don't belong. And some of you come into church, maybe. A lot of people don't come into church because they don't feel like they belong. And some of us who do come to church, you walk in and you think, these aren't my people. I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't understand the weird way Christians talk. I don't get any of that stuff. The weird prayers they say, I don't understand it. These aren't my people. Jesus is saying, I came for you. This will be a sign for you. Jesus has come to say, you are my people. You are my people. Can I make a confession? I said some people don't feel like they belong in church. You know, as a pastor, I often feel the same way. It's not that I don't feel like I belong in church. It's that church is about the only place I do feel like I belong. You know how weird it is to go get your hair cut? Which I don't have to worry about much anymore, thankfully. But <laughs> you go, and they inevitably ask you what you do. And you know, I'm like, I'm a pastor. And then they mumble something about how they got you know, confirmed to the grandma's Catholic church once. And then that's the end of the conversation. Or you're out golfing and you get paired up with some guys you don't know and they're obviously there to have a good time for the afternoon and they go around you introduce yourselves. So what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. Oh, cool. And then they whisper their jokes the rest of the afternoon. My point is, what if we're all in the same boat? What if we all just want to know that we're welcomed, that we belong, that we have a spot at the table? What if we're all in the same place here? Jesus may not have been born in a lowly barn, but he was born among outsiders. And the fact that he was born among outsiders shows us that the outsiders are now on the inside. But church, I'm afraid we do very bad at this. We segregate ourselves left from right, you know, whites from minorities, those who are in, those who are out, Wesleyans and Baptists and Presbyterians, like we separate in almost every category we possibly can think of. No wonder people don't feel like they belong. We're not even sure if we belong with each other. 
But we need to realize that there is something that unites us all. We all want to be welcome to the table. The shepherds received a sign for them. It was a Messiah born into their space, the home of a peasant, not the palace of a king. But what would not only be a, that would not be the only sign Jesus would give. The fact that he was placed in a manger was not the only sign that Jesus would give. One day he would give his body and his blood as a sign that you and I have a seat at his table. You and I are not shepherds, so mangers may not mean a whole lot to us. But we have a body, we have blood, we understand how much of a costly gift that is. We can relate to that sign. So what is that part of you that constantly tells you that you don't belong to Jesus? Jesus came for that part. He came for the parts of your life that haunt you and shame you and embarrass you and make you think like you don't belong. He came specifically to that to say, you're my people. I want to do a little exercise today. We're going to take communion in a moment, but as you came in, you should have received a piece of paper, like a card that you can write on there. It says, how did Jesus come to you? I want to take a moment because if you've been a Christian for a while, there's a good chance that you've kind of, I don't know, forgotten, grown used to it, you know, like gotten acclimated to the fact that Jesus came for you. So what if we took a moment to think about how did Jesus come to me? Like, when was the first time I, I encountered Jesus? Maybe it was through a person. Maybe it was through your parents or your grandparents or your, a pastor or a neighbor. I don't know. Maybe it was through the scriptures. Maybe it was through prayer. Maybe it was through a miracle. How did Jesus come to you? Because I bet that when you think about it, it was exactly what you needed. In the moment. And I bet that when you think about it, even if it's just, you know, yeah, my parents taught me the faith. That's exactly what you needed. I mean, what better way to learn the faith than your parents teaching it to you, right? might sound unremarkable, but actually it's perfect. So take a minute and think about how did Jesus come to you? And just take a second to reflect on the fact that you are his people. He came for you. And if you're still doubting it, we're going to take communion today. And just as the sign the angel said, this will be a sign for you to the shepherds. This is a sign for us today that we have a seat at the table of Christ. And so you can come and drop the, sheet, the piece of paper. Once you fill it out, drop it in the basket here as you take communion. And um, we have these cups. You'll notice on one side is the bread. You tear it off, you take it, and then you tear the other side off. You can drink the, the cup. Uh, you can take it right up here. We have a garbage can if you'd like to do it right here and toss it in there. Uh, otherwise, if you want to take it back to your seat, you can do that. And we have a garbage can out in the doors here when you leave that you can toss it in as well. So bring your, bring your paper, drop it in the basket, um, share your story. It can be anonymous. Uh, but just take a moment to think about how Jesus first came to you and then, and then praise him for the fact that you are his people. You're part of his group. You're in the club. You have a seat at his table. That's good news. Listen to all the four yous in this passage. It says, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us a sign that you've come for us. Just as you did to the shepherds, today, 2,000 years later, we get to hold in our hands 
ingest into our bodies the sign that you came that we might have life. You gave your life for ours. And so we are grateful. Because really, God, Christmas points us to that moment. The moment where you, your incarnation would be complete. You would come not just as a human, but as a human who would suffer and die on our behalf. And so today we, we stand in awe, gratefulness, and praise for who you are and what you've done. Let this be a holy moment. Holy Spirit, come and fill this room in our hearts as we behold your undying and unimaginable love for us in your name. Amen. Feel free to come. It's all gluten-free. Feel free to come down front whenever you're ready as, as they play this last song. Would you stand and join us in worship?
Thanks for worshiping with us today. I want to just leave you with this last benediction as you go. Paul writes in Romans, it says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go with one mind today to glorify him to all the world. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for coming. Have a great day.